church? How we doing? Everybody good? Good, good. Everybody excited to be here this morning? I know you are. We're excited. Uh, welcome to many of you college students. Maybe this is your first time here. Welcome back to some of you who've been here before and are ready to kick off a new semester. And we're just glad that you're here. We're glad uh, that you, all of you chose to come and worship with us and uh, just to lift up the name of Jesus. And it's so important and such an awesome thing, awesome privilege that we get to do. Um, today I'm excited about the message. I'm excited about this whole series that's called Bigger Than Me, where we're looking at how the church is bigger than we are and what the church is meant to be and, and what God's called Connection Church to be. And so if you're new here, uh, you've only missed one Sunday. Um, we, we've got four more to go in this series, and so uh, uh, you're not behind very far. So today I want to talk to you about the importance of, of community, of, of doing life together with someone. We're going to do that out of the book of Hebrews. If you have a Bible, you can turn it there to Hebrews chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. And at our Next Steps area over there, we'll, we'll be glad to give you a Bible if you don't have one. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. And so Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 11. We're going to read a few verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get going in uh, what God wants us to have today. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for one time, for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Well, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today. No matter where we're at, God, I pray that we would be able to hear your voice. God, I pray that we would be able to um, just receive the word that you want us to receive today, God. Lord, just do a great work in our hearts. God, I pray that you give me boldness to proclaim what you want me to proclaim. And I pray that you would give each of us hearts to hear what you want us to receive. Lord, we love you and thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure many of you can relate to this, uh, being a part of a team. I, I know m most of you or many of you have probably been a part of some kind of team. Maybe in a sports team, it may have been um, a team at, at work, but, but most of us have been a part of a team. And one of the things that I think about when I think about a team is I think about how much stronger uh, a team is when everyone's on the same page. I've been a part of some teams where, uh, sports teams, where we all had one goal in mind and we had one vision in mind and we were moving towards that goal and towards that, that end and towards that outcome. But then I've also been a part of what we would call a team, but it was really just individuals who were doing their own thing but, and with their own agenda, not moving together with everyone else. And what I want you to see is that the church is called to be a team of people, a group of people, a community of people that's moving together uh, to accomplish the mission of God. And, and it's so much bigger than us. It's so much more important than us because it's not a building that we come to, it's a people that we belong to. It's not a group of people that, or it's not a, a building that we just show up at for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning here. It's a people that we belong to. So you can look around you right now and what you see is the church. It's the people, it's the body of Christ. And, and that's what the church is. So many times we get it confused with, with it being about a building or a place, but it's really a people we belong to. It's a people we submit our lives to. And that's important for us to see. And as we look at this today, I want you to be able to, to, to see everything we have in common as believers. 
Because this is what I believe, that, that, that as believers, when we can see everything that we have in common together, that we all share together, then we can begin to, to form the community that God wants us to form. And we can see that our similarities and our commonalities, they, they're much bigger than the things that divide us. So much bigger are the things that unite us than those things that divide us and keep us separated. And so as we're looking at this today, um, I want you to first to be able to see how the writer of Hebrews, how he lays out sort of the theology of what Jesus has done for us. And I want you to be able to see real clearly what God's done for us through Christ. And if you look at that first verse there, verse 11, it says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. And so the, the Old Testament people, the, the Jewish people of the Old Testament had a problem. Their priests, who were their religious leaders of that day, would go and make these sacrifices, these animal sacrifices, for the forgiveness of their sins. But it was really only a temporary covering. Because what he's saying is that, that sacrificing an animal for a person can never take away those sins. And if you look at the sacrifice, it doesn't make sense to us in our culture today. But you have to go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And in chapter 3, where, where the first sin enters the world, it's not very far after that in chapter 3 that the first sacrifice is made to cover the sin and shame of Adam and Eve. So God very early on established this sacrifice as something that was going to have to be done to cover sin temporarily. What he's saying in here in verse 11 is he's saying that these priests, they would go and make these sacrifices day after day, standing there doing their religious duty, trying to cover sin, trying to cover shame, trying to cover their guilt, but there was no way that they could possibly do that. It was impossible, so they just repeated it day after day after day. It's kind of like one of my children, when they start asking me questions, it's like one after... They couldn't take away the sin and the shame and the guilt that was on mankind. It was a temporary covering for something that needed to be eternal. And so we see in the very first verse that, that they were people who were constantly trying to cover their sin and shame again and again as they, they sacrificed these animals. In verse 12, it says, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What he's telling us in this is, look, Jesus came as the priest. Yeah, he was the great priest, right? But he also came as the sacrifice. So this priest didn't offer something else. Jesus offered himself as a perfect, um, fully man, fully God person. He offers his, himself and his perfection for our lives and for our imperfection. And so he gave himself to us. He, he made an exchange with us where he took our unrighteousness, he took our sin, and he gave us his righteousness, gave us his perfection. He, he perfected us, not because of what we've done or what we could do, but because of what he's done and what he can do. He gives us the ability to be made righteous before God. And so when we, we see it, it's huge. And it's cool to me, it says in here that when he had made this sacrifice, he sat down. He sat down. But if you look up there where it's talking about the priest, and what they did, it says they stood every day making the sacrifice that couldn't take away sin. And yet when we get to Jesus, it says that he sat down. And I love that because it's not saying that Jesus was tired, so he sat down. What it's saying is Jesus was finished. 
that it was over, that it was done, that he had accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. And so he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And, and now we have him as a high priest who makes intercession for us. It means that the devil who's an accuser goes to God and he begins to try to accuse us of our sin and of our struggles and of our difficulties. But the reality of it is you have one in Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father who intercepts that, who, who intercedes for that, who takes that sin and takes it on himself and says, God, these are, Father, these are the ones that I paid for. This one belongs to me. And so we're able to see where Jesus the priest was able to sit down because he was finished. Even on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And what he meant was that everything that needed to be done for salvation, for life, was done when Jesus died on the cross and when he was going to rise again three days later out of the empty tomb. And so I want you to be able to see that the impact and the power of what Jesus did for us. In verse 13, it says, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice in verse 14, it says he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, what Jesus did was not some temporary thing. It, it was an eternal thing. It was a life-changing thing forever. It was something that, that was able to take away our sins, to lift off our sins, to take them away from us, to separate us from them. That's what Jesus did, something that we can't do. We can try to live the good life all we want to live it. We can try to be good, God's good little boy, God's good little girl. But the reality is we're all stained by sin, me, myself included. Um, we're, we're all people who sin has, has had its way in our lives. And we need a God who make a sacrifice for us to come and take that sin off of us, die the death that we uh, sh should have died, but give us the life that we should have never had. And we see that that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in this. He's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In other words, those who are his children, he's made them perfect forever. Verse 15 through 17, it says this. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about, about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And so these verses are really prophecy in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the before Jesus times. These are prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And I want you to understand that Jesus didn't just fulfill one or two prophecies that were given hundreds of years before his birth, but he fulfilled every prophecy in the Old Testament, hundreds of prophecies, so that when we look at Jesus and we look at who he says he was as the Messiah, for him to fulfill those prophecies leaves us in this place where the, the odds of him not being the Messiah, not being the Savior of the world are impossible. It's, it's such a, a huge uh, just deal that he fulfilled all these prophecies because it shows us that that's where um, that he fulfilled everything that God had for him to do. In fact, verse 18 says, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. What it's telling us is Jesus accomplished for us what could have never been accomplished on our own. It's telling us that he fulfilled those prophecies. The prophecy that, that says in verse 16 that he will write his laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. What he's telling us is this. We're not going to just have these commandments that God gives on some stone tablets. What he's telling us is that he's given us his law, but he's written it on our heart. That he's gone inside of us and changed the very inside of us so that the outside can be changed. There's so many people in this room today that you're working so hard to try to change the outside. When the reality of it is, if you're going to make progress, you've got to let God change the inside. If you let God change the inside, then the outside is going to begin to change. And that was one of the promises about Jesus that, that was in the Old Testament. 
It also says that he takes away our sin. He takes it away. It's gone. He gives us new life. He gives us the desire to do the things that God wants us to do as he changes our heart. As it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he accomplished all of this. It was finished when Jesus was done. He didn't get tired and sit down. He didn't get tired and quit. He went all the way to the cross and even to death so that he could make the sacrifice needed for us to live for him and us to have life in him. And so that's some of the things that Jesus has done for us. He took our place on the cross. He gave his life for us so that we could have life. And I want you to be able to see those things because it's really important when we look at those things that Jesus has done, we can see all these things that we now have in common as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people who follow God. We've got so many things that are in common. And I want you to see these as the writer begins to lay these out for us as we can see them in the next few verses, verses 19 through 22. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, listen, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Those are a lot of words, but what, what can we take away from those? Is what, that's what I want to talk to you about now. We can take away some commonalities that we have together, some things that we have in common. And the very first one is that we should have confidence in coming to God. He says there in verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. The most holy place was part of the temple in, in Jewish worship where only the high priest could go in there one time a year. And he had to go through all these ritual cleansings to try to make himself holy enough to be able to go into the presence of God because that's what the most holy place represented was the presence of God. But he tells us here that since we have such confidence, why do we have that confidence? Because of what Jesus has done for us that we just talked about. By him making a way for us to come to God and be reconciled to God that we would have never had on our own. Jesus did for us something that can never be done by any other person. And so we see that we can have confidence in coming to God. It also tells us in verse 19 that we come into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In other words, if you're new to Christianity and you hear like all this blood talk, it doesn't make sense, right? Because it sounds like we're just, just slaughtering stuff just to kill it. But the reality is that what we see in the sacrifice was it was the, the way that God was covering sin until the time of Jesus. And so he says the sacrifice of blood, what he's talking about is, or the blood of Jesus is talking about the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so in that we see forgiveness is what, what he gives us. He takes away our sin and forgives us of our sin, cleansing us by his sacrifice. But in that, the way we are forgiven is that God does all of this through what's called his grace. His grace, he works in us and he begins to work through us. And so his grace um, is something that he gives us. It's unconditional love. It's unmerited favor. It's what we don't deserve. God gives us what we don't deserve, right? His love and, and his power, his presence, his purpose in our life. He gives us all of these things that we don't deserve out of his grace. And you and I, if you're in Christ, we all share in God's grace. It's something that we share in. We have that in common. Verse 20, it talks about that Jesus made a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. That sounds really, really confusing. But basically what he's saying is in the temple there was a curtain that separated the most holy place from everybody else. 
again, the high priest would go in there one time a year. And he would go in there on, on the Day of Atonement. And he would go one time a year. And, and this curtain separated everybody else. It represented really um, God's holiness and our imperfection that, did, that couldn't go together. And so the Bible teaches us, though, that when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn. It was torn. And he's saying right here, that's what he's referring to, is that Jesus' body on the cross, when it was torn apart um, by the nails, and, and when it was torn apart by the beating, when it was torn apart by the, the briars pushed on his head, when he was torn apart, he's saying not only did it tear him apart, but because of what he did for us, it tore the curtain. So that now we're no longer separated from God. We're no longer separated from him where we can't go into his holy presence. But because of Jesus making us righteous, we can now go into his presence. And one of the things he does is he gives us his mercy. So he gives us grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. But he also gives us his mercy, which is when, when we don't get what we do deserve. Right? So grace is when I'm given what I don't deserve. Mercy is that I'm not given what I do deserve. And so we receive mercy. And, and it happens through his sacrifice on the cross. That God doesn't give us the punishment for our sin. God doesn't give us the punishment and the wrath for what we've done. He puts it on Christ. As we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus takes our sin and, and he gives us his righteousness. And so you can see that we all share in this mercy. We share in the confidence to approach God. We share in the grace of God. And we share in the mercy of God. We also, if you look still in verse 20, we have a, a sharing of a revelation of God's nature. We understand more about who God is. How do we understand this? Because we look at Jesus, and we can see who God is through Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the express image of God. And so when we look at Jesus, we can see who God is. We can begin to understand more about God's nature. And what I want you to see is that we never get a better glimpse of God's heart and his love for us than we do when we look at the cross and we see Jesus hanging there for us. Because it was his great love that put Jesus on the cross. Jesus put himself on the cross. It wasn't a Jewish person. It wasn't a Roman soldier. It wasn't even our sin. It was Jesus choosing to go to the cross for our sin. No one could take his life from him, but he gave it up freely so that we could have life. And when we look at that, it's a huge deal for us because we see the nature of God, the love of God. We see who God is. We see his heart for us. And we have a revelation of his nature. Amen. I'm preaching hard. Y'all got to wake up trying to all right here we go in verse 21 he says and since we have a great priest over the house of God so we see in this we share the same high priest Jesus is our priest he's the one who went before God but the great thing about this God is he or this priest is he didn't go into the holy of holies and leave us outside he went into the holy of holies into the presence of Jesus or in presence of the father so that he could take us with him that he could take us with him into the presence of God. He didn't just leave us outside. He, he, he's taking us with him, making us have access to the Father and reconciliation with God the Father. It goes on, and in verse 22, he talks about how he cleanses us from a guilty conscience. Something else that you and I should share in is a conscience that's, that's not guilty, a conscience that doesn't feel condemned. Because Jesus took our condemnation, we don't have to live condemned. We can live free. It doesn't mean that you won't be convicted by sin, but it means that you should never feel condemned by sin. Sin convicts us so that we can then repent of it. We can turn from our sin and turn to God. But, but, but 
Sin doesn't condemn us any longer because Jesus took the condemnation for us. It's, it's an awesome exchange, right? Jesus takes our unrighteousness and our filth, and he gives us righteousness and purity in its place so that we can stand before God whole and righteous, not of our own doing, but of the doing of Jesus. It says also in there that we draw with a sincere heart, draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And what he's talking about when he says our bodies washed with pure water, one of the things that we have in common also is that Jesus makes us pure. He makes us whole in in and of himself. And then we begin to grow into what he's already given us. But when he's talking about being washed, he's talking about the baptism. He's talking about what baptism symbolizes. Because in baptism, you go down underneath the water, and it represents death in sin. But then you come back up out of the water, and it represents life in God. And it also represents you becoming clean from your sin. And so he's saying is, is, is that in this washing, we're made pure. We've been, been made right again with God. And we all share in this purified living, this heart change that God does in us. It changes our behavior. It changes our life. But we can't get so focused, church, on, on transforming our behavior or behavior modification that we lose sight of God's desire to give us a heart transformation. That's what God ultimately wants to do. Because if God can get a hold of our heart, then he's got a hold of our lives. And he can transform us from the inside out. Verse 22 also, it talks about this heart change, talks about this purification and this purifying work that God does in us. And we see that that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, people who've submitted their lives to Jesus as Lord and have accepted him as Savior, we, we can come to this place where we realize we both share in the same spirit. God has given us his Holy Spirit to live in us. That's what begins to transform us and change us, is, is that God works inside of us to, to give us a new heart and give us a new life. And so we share the same spirit together that God's given us to unite us. See, we're, we're united around the gospel, around his word. But we're bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit, something so much bigger than you and I. If you take all of those verses together, and the last commonality in there that I see is this, that we're all on mission together. God's given us a mission to fulfill. God's given us a mission to accomplish. He's given us a mission to carry the gospel to the lost people in our community and the lost people in the world. He's given us the ability through the power of the Spirit that He's given us that on that mission, we're able to carry it into the darkness and bring a light into the darkness that hasn't existed there. And and we need to realize that this is what God wants us to do. So many times as Christians, we're afraid of the dark. We don't want to go into the darkness, but God's called us to do that. He's called us to go and carry the the, the light of Christ into the darkest areas, into the people's lives that, that, that we think they can never be transformed. But I know that God can transform their life I know that God's arm's not too short to save. I know that God can do a miracle in them. And the way I know that is because God's done a miracle in me. If he can save me, he can save anybody. And that goes for a lot of you too. If you think about your life that you lived before you came to Christ and how Jesus transformed your life and changed your life, then you can see too the miraculous healing and and, and working power of God working in you. And he puts us on mission with that testimony and with the gospel to go and tell the world that this is the God who will change your life. This is the God who will give you life. And so we're called to be that to the world, to be on mission together, carrying the light of Christ into the darkest of areas. Amen. The last thing I want to talk to you about today, we got, got just a few minutes. 
The last thing I want to talk to you about today is now we've seen what Jesus has done for us. We've seen what that means to us and that we have all of these things in common. It's important that we see all of the things we have in common because when we see the commonalities in our life, it'll create community. It helps create community because the community is really people who are in a fellowship together because they share the same ideas, they share the same ideals, they share the same values, they share the same mission, they share the same purpose. And so we see that if those things are true about us, then we have a lot in common and we're able to create community around that. It's important for us to to be a part of community where we can grow in those things. And so the last thing I wanna do today is I wanna show you some of the things that God calls us to do and to be about as we, as we live in community, as we live together, as we do life together. And the first one, I want you to notice that in verse 22, 23, and 24, he begins those verses saying, let us. And what he's saying is, let us, the community of God, God's people, do these things. And the very first one in verse 22, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. And so what he's telling us is, is use the confidence we have in what Jesus has done for us and come into God's presence. So many times we think, well, I'm going to clean myself up and then maybe then I can go into God's presence. The reality of it is on your own, you'll never be clean enough to go into God's presence. It's only because Jesus cleans us up that we're made holy and righteous enough to go in there. But when we're in the place of, of being in Christ, listen to what it says about us in Hebrews 4.16. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's not saying get everything right, do everything right, and then you can come into the presence of God. He's saying look at what Jesus has done for you, giving you access to the presence of God, and then come into his presence so that his grace and mercy can help you now. He's not telling you to wait. He's saying now that because of what Jesus has done, we're able to come into his presence. Don't wait. Don't wait. Today, listen, if you've never had a relationship with God through Jesus, today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. If God's knocking on the door of your heart today, open the door and let him in. For some of you, God's been beating on the door of your heart with, a, with his holy hand trying to get in there. It's time to open it. It's time to, time to say, yes, God. Yeah, I want to receive you. I want what you have for me. I want the spirit in me. I want you to be the Lord of my life and call the shots. I want you to be my savior who gives me your perfection and takes my unrighteousness. So if God's knocking on your, your heart, then it's time to say yes to him. It's time to let him be what he is, Lord and savior of our lives. And so we see that he calls us to draw near to him. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And one of the things he wants us to do is he wants us to worship him together. He wants us to worship him together. And so when it says draw near, that's what he's meaning, draw near in worship. You know, we worship on Sunday mornings, you come in here, it's not just songs on the screen, it's, it's worship, it's a time for us to call out to God, it's a time for us to sing to God, it's a time for us to sing about God, but all of it's to lead us into his presence. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants, is for us to come into his presence, because here's the thing I know, you cannot come into the presence of God and stay the same way that you are. God is a transformer. He, he, not like a transformer, but you know what I'm saying. God is a God who, who transforms, who, who changes life, who, who gives life. And so we need to 
recognize that. And we need to worship him, whether it's through his word, through prayer, through generosity, through Sunday morning services, whatever it may be with your family or with a group of friends. We need to worship him. For many of us, it needs to be in a connect group. Many of us today need to go and sign up for a connect group, a small group. When you leave this, this room right here, you need to go straight back that way and go to the Next Steps area and sign up for a group so that you can have that community around you. Don't, don't go through a semester. Don't go through your life without some other people surrounding you to be what you need in your life. You need somebody to encourage you, somebody to, to push you in the right direction. Don't waste that opportunity, but you need people who you're worshiping with. So God calls us to this worship. He tells us that we can draw near in confidence. And that confidence comes from what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing for us as he sits beside the Father. The last thing I want to say about this one is he says to draw near with a sincere heart. Draw near with a sincere heart. And what he means by that is he means that there not be a pretense, there not be some deceit in that. But his reality is, I want to be close to God. I want to I draw near to him because of what's in my heart. It's not something that I'm trying to fake. It's not me giving lip service to God. It's the fact that I truly want to worship him. How many people walk in on Sunday mornings with no really desire to worship God? It's just the thing that you have to do. Well, I pray that we never walk through the doors of this church, that we're not coming in here with a purpose to meet with God that we don't come in here and just go through the motions of the song or we don't wait an extra 15, 20 minutes so that the music's over so that we miss the worship part so we can hear the message. That we come in realizing that we're called to press into God and walk into his presence with confidence and, and be able to live out of, out of what he does in our life when we're in his presence. I pray that, that it'll always be an overflow of our life, Sunday morning worship, that we don't come in on Sunday morning trying to create worship that hasn't existed all week but we come in together on Sunday morning sharing in worship that we've been doing all week long together. That's when we share it because we've been doing that already. It's just an extension of our lives. That's what it means to worship God. It's that he has our whole life, not a part of our life, not an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. He's got our whole life. Does he have yours today? Have you given your whole life to him? What are you holding back from him today? So we called come to him and worship the next one it says in verse 23 let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess let us hold unswervingly to hope and the second thing that we're called to do together is we're called to stand together we're called to stand together against the world the things that the world brings against us the thing that satan brings against us our enemy brings against us we're called to stand together so there's no such thing as an isolated christian you can't be that if Satan can get you isolated, and it's one of his greatest tricks, if he can get you isolated, thinking you, you thinking that you're alone, thinking that nobody else has this problem, thinking that nobody else has this issue, thinking that you can do it by yourself, then he's got you exactly where he wants you. He does that in my life. One of the biggest challenges I have is not to get isolated from other people who are going the same direction that I'm going. But when he gets me there, I can start thinking crazy things. I can start, start doubting things. But when I have somebody in my life who's able to encourage me, and able to build me up and say, don't let go of the faith. Keep moving forward. It's a huge help. It's so big to know that people have your back. It's so huge to know that people are, are praying for you to succeed in what God's called you to do and be. And so when we look at that, man, we all need those people in our lives. It's not something we can be like a Lone Ranger Christian. 
That's not, a, that's not possible. And here's one reason it's not possible. is because you fulfilling your potential that God's given you is dependent on me and others de- fulfilling ours. Me fulfilling the potential God's given me is dependent on you fulfilling yours. And so we've got to realize we can't do this by ourselves. We've got to realize that, that God's not called us to do this by ourselves. We can't live this life alone. We're called to do it together. Moving in the same direction, moving together as one. And so we're called to hold our ground together and to stand firm together. When he says unswervingly, what he's saying, the, the, the word for that actually means not leaning or firm. He's saying don't, don't, be, don't be waffling and leaning. Be firm in what God's told you and what he's called you to. Be firm in the faith. And if we're going to do that, it takes us together to be firm in the faith. Nobody can do that on their own. God has created us in such a way that we need those connections with other people so that we can become what God designed and created us to become. The next one that we're called to do together is we're called to share our faith together. If you look at verse 23, it also says in there that we hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. So we're called to share our faith together. And here's the awesome thing about the church, about the people of God. When we gather on Sunday morning, it's professing our faith. It's telling people what we believe. When we gather as connect groups during the week, it's professing our faith. It's telling people what we believe. But whether we are, are, are here and, and, and sharing our faith when we're gathered or whether we're out there in the world and sharing our faith when we're scattered, we're all proclaiming the same message. We always say here that we proclaim the same message from the parking lot to the pulpit. And what we have to realize is God's created us not just to, to share that on Sunday morning from the parking lot to the pulpit, but to share it when we scatter into the world. And the thing I want you to know today is that you fulfilling what God's called you to do is huge. You being a part of the body of Christ is huge. Listen, God created this in such a way that he, he's not redeeming the world. He's not going to redeem the world without his church. His church is the hope of the world. And he's called us to be that church, to be that body, to be empowered with the spirit and doing the work that he's given us to do, professing our faith, professing who he is to the world around us. The last one is that we take ground together. We take ground together. You see in verse 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And so what he's saying is, is for us to get together, but we're not just going to hold our ground together and play defense. We're also going to take ground together. We're going to carry the light of Christ into this dark world so that people can see the hope that's in Jesus, so that people can recognize their need for him what he's, he calls us to do he calls us to do that he calls us to carry it forward into the world together and again there's nothing like knowing that other people have your back nothing like knowing that that there are other people in your community of, of friends and of influence that are doing the same thing that you're doing so many times we think we're the only ones that are fighting this fight there's others who, who are fighting it as well and who want to fight it with you but we can't do that listen we can't encourage people if they're not here, right? We can't encourage people if they're, they're here once every two months. We're called to live life together. And that means regularly being with other people in the body of Christ. 
And so we're not, we're not to forsake the gathering together. We're to make it a priority of something that's, 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 that's so important that we wouldn't dare miss it for anything. Because it's that important to our lives. And I want you to hear this morning my heart for you. My heart for you is that you become part of a community of believers. If that's this community at Connection Church, that's awesome. If it's not, and it's somewhere else, that's awesome. Because my heart for you is that you get in a place that you can be planted and a place that you can grow and a place that you can become what God wants you to do. If that's here, then get planted, get here, get in a community, get in a small group, begin to serve, begin to get involved. Listen, if you're a student and you got four years here, maybe four, most, all right, let's be honest, five years here. Five years, it took me five too. But, but, but you're here for four or five years. Maybe you've only got a year left. Don't spend that, that year or those four to five years just wasting them. God's put you here for a purpose. You thought it was to come get a degree, but God's put you here to make a difference. Some of the most impactful people we've had in this church are college students. Because you know what? Nobody's waking you up in the morning and saying you need to go to church. You're doing that on your own. Nobody's making you do that. And so what I see when most students come is there's no pretense. There's no act. It's sincere. Either you're in or you're out. And I like that. I don't want to know, are you riding the fence? I want to know that I'm either in or out with the gospel, right? I'm not much for hypocrisy where we claim one thing and then do something else, right? I'd just rather go ahead and say, look, I'm in Christ and I'm an imperfect person. He's perfect. He's given me his perfection and I'm becoming like him. But don't look at me for perfection. Look to him. And, and you're here to be a part of other people seeing that and hearing that. And that, that life coming to them through you. Don't waste time here thinking that you're just here to get a degree. That's important. Absolutely. But the reality of it is God puts you here for a reason. There's a divine appointment that you have here to transform people's lives. And the Holy Spirit working through you wants to do that. But you can't do that if you're not with other believers. You're going to face all kinds of things. Listen, I'm 41 years old. I got a kid in high school. Do I look old enough to have a kid in high school? Just lie and say no, right? No. But, but I mean, I'm 41. I still face the pressures. The thing about it is, you know, when you get out of college, they're still there. The only way that it's different when you get out of college is if you're different, if God's made you different. He's transformed your heart. The reality of it is we all face a world that's full of temptation. We face a world that's full of heartache. We face a world that has many bad days. But the great news of the gospel is this, that even when my circumstances suck, the reality of God is that He is good. And that I can still have joy in my heart. I can still have the love of God in my heart. Even though everything else may be falling down around me, I can turn to God and I can have Him in my heart. And whether you're 20, 40, or 60, or 80, the reality of God is still there for you. And He's still there to work in you, to work through you, to empower you. To make a difference. We're not called to just be here to soak up and suck up oxygen. We're called to be people on a mission. And my prayer is that if this is your church, 
then you become one of those people on mission with us because God has called us to run. God has called us to carry his word into the world. And that's what we're gonna be about. That's what we're gonna do. I pray that there'll never be a Sunday that you don't hear the gospel preached from this stage. I pray that there'll, there'll, never, there'll never be a Sunday that someone who's far from God could find hope in this place. Pray there'll never be a Sunday that we come in and do things as usual because we serve a supernatural God who does things that blow our minds, that blow our minds. But if we're gonna do that, we're gonna do it together. It's not gonna happen separated. It's not gonna happen with everybody with their own agenda. It's gonna happen when we get behind God and the gospel and we carry it into this community. That's when it's gonna happen. So that's my challenge to you today. My next challenge is this, if you're not in Christ and there's people here today that you know you're not saved, you know you haven't given your life to Christ. I mean, we can be honest about that. I don't dislike you, I love you, I'm glad you're here. I pray that every week we've got people who've never heard the gospel before. Because I believe this is the best place to, to be able to come and hear the gospel. But there are people in here who don't have a relationship with God in Christ. You've never had that before. But today I hope you can hear through something that I've said, through something that you heard in worship, through something that the Spirit's spoken to you. I hope that you can hear the, the heart of God calling you to himself. My prayer is that you would take that step and that today would be the day of salvation because you receive in your heart what Jesus has already done for you and wants to offer you. Again, if God is knocking on the door of your heart, open the door. Don't go through this life without Him, without others that are pursuing Him. But you're here today, look, and God's knocking on the door of your heart. This is what we do every week. We do this every single week because it's that important give you an opportunity to make a profession of faith for Christ. If you've never done that before, you never said Jesus is my Lord and Savior, you've never had a relationship with God through Jesus, and today God's speaking to your heart and saying today's the day for that to happen, this is how we do it. We just ask you to raise your hand so we can pray with you and help you take your next steps of faith. So if you're here and, and that speaks to you, God speaking to my heart is, is how you would maybe feel it. And you know that he's calling you to himself. And today's the day of salvation for you. I want you to stick your hand up with every head up, not at every head bow, so we can celebrate with you what God's doing in your heart. So who's here today that you would say that, that I need a relationship with Christ. I need a relationship with God. Who's ready to take that step? Amen. else the Lord's speaking to your heart and you know it you know it so clearly that that your heart's beating 100 miles an hour and here's the challenge for the rest of us right is that God's got a next step for us to take what's that next step in your life for many people in here that next step is 
going to the next steps area and signing up for a connect group. It may be signing up for our heart and soul class this, where we talk about more of what this church is here to do and, and the foundations of faith. It may be to start serving. It may be to, to, to tell God and commit to God to share your faith with somebody that you've been putting it off for a while, but you know God's put it in your heart. There's, there's a, just an infinite number of things that God could be putting on our hearts this morning. But my challenge and my encouragement to you is to take that next step. Whatever it is that God's doing, whatever it is how God's working, take the next step. Whatever it is, whatever it looks, God's not going to give you another step. You got to take the first one. So today, maybe you need courage to do that. Maybe there's something that's, 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 hard, that's, that's keeping you from doing that. Well, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm just gonna pray. And when I pray, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. You can come to this altar. You can spend time with God. You can commit to God. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna take this next step. You can come and get here with God and ask God to fill you with his presence, with the power of his spirit. Because we can't do anything of eternal value without his presence in us. Maybe it's you coming up here and saying, God, I, I want you to help me in this semester. I need your strength, God. I'm surrendering to you. You make this be what you want it to be. Maybe that's the same thing you need to say about your workplace or your family. But I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask you to move. If something's on your heart, you come and do business with God right here and let God move in you. That's my challenge for you now. I'm gonna pray you can move if you feel led. God, thank you so much for your heart. Let us take those next steps, God. Let's take those next steps that you've given us, that you've called us to. Lord, would you move in a mighty way in us? Long after we've left this building, would you move in a mighty way in us and remind us that the church is not about, uh, about religiosity and about just doing things. It's about having a relationship with you. And so God, I pray that that would be our heart. Do in us what only you can do. Transform our heart and transform our lives. God, I thank you for every person in this room, saved, unsaved, wherever they are, whatever they're facing, whatever they're going through, whatever they've done. I don't care, God, because I know your grace is big enough to cover it. And I pray for them that they would see who they are in you and that they would live for you with everything that's inside of them. Lord, just fill us with your spirit from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Clothe us with Christ that we can be Jesus to this world around us. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can stay and pray as long as you'd like. Listen, y'all have a great week. Good luck with school this week. God bless you. We love you.